0: out into the world with action. The power of visionary leadership. Hi, I'm Diane here at Someone Gets Me and Stephen Sashon is with us today and he is a visionary leader. Not only has he been a stand-up comic and a successful screenwriter and a competitive sprinter, he's a really fast guy, right? He now owns with his wife, Lena, Zero Shoes. And I actually own Zero Shoes. I have five pairs of them, and I love them. And what drew me to Stephen was his great, amazing way of expressing himself and getting the point across as a visionary for how to create something really amazing. So I want to welcome to the Someone Gets Me podcast, Stephen Sashin. Welcome, Stephen.
1: Thank you. Wow, the pressure is seriously on right now.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, this is really fun because... i love to all of us really are visionaries and love to just kind of follow our heart's desire. So the first question I have for you is when did you realize that you were this kind of creative visionary type person?
1: (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know because I just don't, think of myself that way. I think of myself as someone who was just a little too old to have gotten riddling as a kid. So, um, I've been, I come from a family of, of entrepreneurs and small business people. And so for whatever reason, it just never occurred to me not to just try to do what I thought was interesting. And it just so happens that if I'm, if I do those things well, they generate enough money that I didn't have to have some other job. So I've never had an actual job. I've never had a resume. I've never, um, uh, interview. I almost said auditioned, interviewed for a job. I'm tempted to do it just to see what it's like, frankly, because <laughs> I have no clue. Um, so, But I I guess, um, how do I want to put it? It's It's been obvious to me for a long time that the many of the ideas I come up with are unfortunately a little um, too far out there. So they're a bit of a stretch and it takes a while for people to catch up to the ideas. And I'm also um, uh, another thing that I realized is that I'm a little hyper optimistically naive. And so I work on the assumption that like best thing wins. So I'm a competitive sprinter. So, and I was a all American gymnast way back when all American sprinter at 58 years old now. And so as a single, um, what's the word I'm looking for as a solo athlete sport person, solos, you know, guy who – sport where it's one person against another or it's just really you against you. Uh, um, I made the assumption that, like, you know, best man wins. And what I discovered is that's not true. So there are people who do underhanded, interesting business things that pull the rug out from underneath that. But my thing was always – uh, let me, actually, I'm going to answer your question this way. My wife, who's my co-founder and CFO in Zero Shoes, she says, you know, we're a really great team, but I have the really fun job of being able to think of all the cool things that we're going to try and make happen in the future, and her job is to tell me we don't have enough money to do that. And so, or I like to say that, you know, I'm building a car. She makes sure there's tires on the wheels and gas in the tank. And so, um, so again, I don't... I don't think of myself as a something, but I'm aware that the way that I think is about the big picture in the future. And that's always been the case. And when I bring products to market as a result, they're often a little ahead of their time, which is not a good thing. The people who've copied me have made more money than I have uh, because they, I, I sort of teed it up and you know they hit it off the tee.
0: Right, because when you're the visionary and you're ahead, I I always say that when I'm whatever I'm journaling about today will show up in the world in about two years, <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of what you're saying, you know? It's like okay, you're so f- enough ahead of your time that the the wave hits late.
1: <laughs> well, it's what it. It's a little. It's it's actually been a little different for me, and that is, it's not that I'm that far ahead of my time. It's that I'm usually changing what the status quo is. I'm usually identifying what the problem is with the status quo and solving that. And it takes a little while for people to catch up to that. And of course, it becomes, so, what we've done has been so obvious that then other people start copying it. So just as an aside, prior to Zero Shoes, back in 1992, I started a company. I invented the industry standard word processing software for film and television writers. In the almost 30 years since then, the only thing that's happened is people trying unsuccessfully to copy what I did and with the footwear world what we're doing in a way is actually going back in time to when shoes were made like ours we can talk about that later Uh, but what's happened in the last 50 years is big shoe the big shoe companies have been convincing people of things that are patently false and so there's this sort of you know like wall of propaganda that we are trying to beat up the good news is uh, what we're doing is simple and obvious and makes sense. And the experience people have is very profound. And so it's not like we're trying to convince anybody of anything. We need to give people the experience and the rest takes care of itself. That just takes time, especially when you're up against a couple hundred billion dollars worth of competition.
0: Oh, exactly. And, and it takes education too, because it's kind of, if you've been fed this same amount of information yeah. about anything forever, and then somebody else says, well, wait a second, look at it from this angle. Then well, it, it, it you know, takes a minute
1: right? It takes something, but you know, I would, I would um, contend that education is, a, is not quite the thing because people believe that they're, for example, people believe they're wearing the shoes they're wearing for a good reason. Even though if that reason is that some 21 year old kid at a shoe store who learned what to say from, you know, the, com- the company that sells the shoes he's trying to sell you told you what to do. You think you made a rational decision and you can't talk people out of rational decisions with rational data. But what you can do is point to people's ex- own experience in such a way that they realize that what they really experience or believe and what they're doing are not in sync. And then to reconcile that, they may find uh, that the right direction to go is the one that you're pointing to. So, for example, I, when people ask me what I do for a living, I say, well, let me ask you a weird question. Do your feet feel better at the end of the day than they did at the beginning of the day? And Everyone always says no. And I go, do you know why? And they go, and they'll have a whole bunch of answers. You know, they'll say flat feet or high arches or, you know, whatever it is. And I go, no, it's because your shoes aren't letting your feet do what's natural, which is bending, moving, flexing, and feeling the world. There's a reason you have a quarter of the bones and bunch of your whole body and your feet and ankles and more nerve endings in your soles than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips. You're supposed to use those things and your shoes aren't letting you. And you see them go, Huh. And then it goes from there. So they have suddenly this cognitive dissonance between their own experience and what they're doing based on their own experience.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, I love your description of that because it's so accurate. It's so accurate. Like, well, like I told you before we started recording, I have five pairs of your shoes. And that was well before I asked you to be on the podcast because I was watching one of your videos and I'm like, that makes sense, huh? I'm recovering from an injury. And what I was told and this are not the same. There was that dissonance. And they, it's like what they told me helped to a certain point, but it wasn't doing the the rest. Right. And I thought, well, okay. And then I watched the video again on another day and I'm pondering this whole thing. And I'm like, you know, and I'm pretty Mm -hmm. well educated and I kind of pay attention to things and I'm a visionary and something about this. I just have to pay attention. So, I kind of did the math. I said, okay, well, let me order a couple pairs. And the very worst is it's a total loss. And the very best is something wonderful. And then anything Mm -hmm. in the middle, right? So I order them. And of course, COVID's going on and I wait and they get here, you know, and I tried them on and I walk my dog for every morning for two miles. I put them on to go on the walk. And I came back feeling better than when I left, which was the first time since this car accident. And I'm like, oh my. <laughs> like I didn't, yeah. it was yeah. it was stunning to me. And I had a couple of people look at them and go, well, you, you can't wear those because they don't have art support. They don't <laughs> have this and that. So then, because I'm a gifted person, I almost had that whole video memorized of what you were teaching. And right. I said it, I said, well, this is what it is, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, I have to look those shoes up. But it's, it, it was just one of those things where that I got me thinking and then mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm getting ready to go on a trip to the mountains and I'm like, hold on a second. I need to have shoes, not sandals. It's going to be 40 degrees. I have to order more. I didn't think to go shopping. I thought to go to your website because I already know that I'm going to feel good in them. Right. And, and so I appreciate your visionary skill, your ability to bring it to market, and your tenacity. Because <laughs> I get to be one of the benefit benefactors, sure. and I'm sure there's thousands of people that are walking around going, "Thank you, Stephen."
1: <laughs> it's I got well. First of all, thank you for sharing your story. And it's stories like yours that get us out of bed in the morning. Because running a business is hard. Running a mm-hmm. footwear business. Oh my God! We have so at about the seven month mark when we started the company, which is almost eleven years ago, we were at our uh, dining room table with a bunch of guys who'd been in the footwear business for a long time. They they said, "We know we love you guys and we believe in you and believe we believe what you're doing is really important, and we want want to start this company with you." but we've been in footwear for so long that we're not stupid enough to try and start a shoe company. (laughs) And (laughs) Lena and I said, yeah, we know that we're hyper optimistic and naive, but that's the only way anything ever happens. So, you know, away we go, but boy, were they right. I mean, it is really, really challenging. And it's just hearing from now hundreds of thousands of people who've had stories like yours and, and, and similar that, you know, really get us out of bed and, and it's not rocket science. I mean, the, the thing that's interesting is all I'm doing is telling the truth it's not hard. Now, finding different ways of doing that to communicate that in a way that people understand, that's the interesting challenge. And my tenacity, if you will, is, it comes from two things. Uh, maybe three one Lena and I uh, are on the entrepreneurial retirement program. So we don't really have a choice Uh, I'm 58, you know, this it's either this or nothing Uh, i'll be working at quiznos making sandwiches for people two Um, I don't like it when people make money by lying to other people And that's what most of the footwear industry is and three I like being right And so (laughs) you put all those together and that just um, it's very motivating and I uh, you know, we're trying to change the world. I mean, that sounds grandiose and hyperbolic, but but we, we know that what we're doing is legit. In fact, we know that the CEOs of some major footwear brands, billion-dollar-plus brands, have said to friends of ours that what we're doing at Zero Shoes is real, but they can't do it because it would be admitting that what they've been doing for 50 years is a lie. Wow. And so, you know, when we hear things like that, or when I debate people who are in, you know, from big footwear companies and just they have no response to the things that I say, Uh, we know that we're onto something. And I, my only hope is that I live long enough to see the fruition of this and I'm not, um, it could happen, but you know, these things normally are like a generational seismic shift and I've got about a generational left in me before, you know, things (laughs) get bad probably.
0: Oh, you never know, right? So
1: You never, you never know.
0: You never know. How has your naivete, if you will, yeah. benefited you like in your life? Like not just in you know, zero I'll show, shoes, but wait, I no, mean, no, I'll,
1: show you, I'll show you I'll show you a zero shoes example for the fun of it. Okay. Show me uh, so, one these straps on the shoe and uh-huh. then step here and around the, the, um, actually the step here in the midfoot here, they're not sewn down. So you can use these to adjust the tension on around your foot. Well, I had never seen that anyone do that before, but just from watching feet and understanding biomechanics, I thought of that idea and no one had ever done it in the last 50 years of footwear. And when I asked a couple friends of mine, including, um, our chief product officer, you know, why did no one think of this? They're the all the footwear designers had the same response they said yeah you thought of it because you don't know anything about footwear so you're looking at this from a fresh perspective instead of reinventing the wheel and so that's that but fundamentally i mean my uh, the answer is it never occurs to me um i don't have the thought of how do i want to put this um I don't even know how to say this. If something occurs to me is like something I want to do and I think I can make a go of it, I just do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. why not? Because, you know, worst thing, like, like what you said, worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work. All right, whatever.
0: Right. Keep on going, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I always, I tell people a lot that I was bored with being like spiritually naive in a way. Like I just do things and then just see how it happens. And it always works out. I always get pointed in the right direction and usually I amaze myself at, at whatever comes out. So when you said that, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's cool. I like that. I think that's neat.
1: So, well, and I'm not, and, and just to, to be clear, it's not like I haven't had things that have not fallen apart you know, horribly that happens. But, um, I guess I'm, I'm also um, lucky enough to have another psychological problem and that is I have no memory. So, um, if something goes wrong, I just, I have forgotten about it. Uh, and I was at my 30th high school reunion 10 years ago. Sadly, there won't be a 40th because of COVID, but I remember walking up to some people and saying, Hey, um, I have like very few memories of you right now, but I have like a memory that maybe we're supposed to be mad at each other. And since I can't remember why I'm not, I just want to double check and see if you are, and if I should know anything about that. (laughs) Invariably people thought that I was completely insane, um, which I'm not going to argue with, but I mean, but uh, there are people who have cost us, many, many tens of thousands of dollars in business by not sticking to agreements or doing things wrong, et cetera. And I, um, I don't take that personally. And so my wife calls it my most confusing and endearing quality that when I bump into these people, I'm happy to see them. I want to know what they're up to. I'm curious, but they're all freaked out because they think I'm mad at them because it cost me tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, you know, that's, it's gone. That's a memory.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great asset to have,
1: right? It's very confusing to a lot of people.
0: <laughs> right. Well, because, like you said, they're expecting you to still be holding on to whatever that old energy is, and for you, it's like yeah. long gone. It's like not even it's not a thing anymore. It's gone. Yeah, I
1: don't remember what I had for I don't remember what I had for breakfast, let alone what they did to me.
0: <laughs> that's called living in the moment, right?
1: That's <laughs> yeah, called having no memory. It's early Alzheimer's. I don't know what it is.
0: Or maybe it's all the above. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I just don't make a thing of it. I, I just call it one of my many psychological problems.
0: That, that's a good way to look at it. So when did, what started you wanting to do footwear? I mean, because you, you're an athlete, you know, you've done all kinds of neat stuff and comedy and everything. And so how did the footwear thing even come into your consciousness to start with? Like, because it's yeah. such a very, it's, you have such a varied, interesting track. And so I'm just kind of curious, uh, like, how did it get in there?
1: Well, I can tell you what the track is for me. It's always been, um, I'm always curious about the underlying reality of something. Mm-hmm. So I have, like, when someone says, you know, here's, here's the truth about something, I'm always kind of curious to see if there's something underneath that that mm-hmm. is a more essential thing than whatever they just landed on. Um, and in a way, like, like I have, a, I have a, a, um, a radar for urban mythology and i'll tell you i I'll, I'll tell you what I mean um, i can it, this is something that developed over years where I can hear certain things where I can just tell that it's not real that it's mythology there's just a certain ring, but where this really kicked in was. The umpteenth time someone had told me that you need to write down your goals because there was a study of the 1954 class from Princeton, and they found that, the, that 20 years later, the top 3% were more successful than the other 97%, and the only difference between them was that the top 3% wrote down their goals. And for some reason around that time, and I had been just doing a lot of things of investigating my thoughts and beliefs at that time, and something in that just rang wrong to me and i did the math i mean i made a spreadsheet and showed that if one of the people in that class was the son of the sultan of something or other he was already worth more than everybody else combined so just something seemed awry and then i i called a friend of mine who's a big deal psychologist uh, and personal transformation guy and i said you know you quoted this i this study to me before have you ever seen the study and he says no and I said, That's unusual because you're, you're a big research guy. So I put out the word uh, online saying I'd pay $1,000 to anyone who gave me this, showed me the study. And I'll pay $1,000 to anyone who can prove the study didn't happen, even though it's impossible to prove the non-existence of a thing. Five minutes later, the guy who founded Snopes.com emailed me and said, oh, here's a whole article that was written where someone tried to track down this study and it doesn't exist. And I said, uh, wow, you did that so easily. I'm a little anxious about paying you. Uh, actually, I said, yeah, $1,000. So I'm a little anxious about you know, giving you the $1,000. He goes, oh, I wasn't expecting you to give me anything. I said, oh, then here's $500. Bucks. Uh-huh. So happy to contribute to what you're doing. So for whatever reason, like, that was the pivotal moment where um, I just found myself really, really attentive to what someone's saying and where's the belief in there and what's underneath that. -hmm. So that's been true when I developed software. It's true when I was doing comedy. It's true. I mean, it's really the true line. So, anyway, that's a tangent. But the specific answer to your question is um, I got back into sprinting 30 years, um, 15 years. Wait, how long ago? 13 years ago, after a 30 year break. I was 45. All those numbers do work in the same sentence somehow. Yes. (laughs) And, And for two years, I was getting injured constantly. And a friend of mine who's a world champion runner, which in Boulder is like saying the guy standing next to me at Whole Foods because there's world champion runners everywhere. This one friend of mine said, try running barefoot and see what you learn. And I learned from doing that why I was getting injured and how naturally to stop getting injured. And the gist is that when I was running barefoot, there was a problem with my form that I couldn't feel when I was in shoes, but was very obvious when I was barefoot. And by trying to find a way to run that didn't hurt, um, that's where my form changed. My injuries went away. I became faster. I'm a Masters All-American wow. sprinter, as I mentioned. That means I'm one of the fastest guys in the country in my age group. Or technically, for men over 55, you might be talking to the fastest Jew in the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, not much competition there, I will confess. Um, so, but it's a great so title that, to
0: hold, you know. It's a great title.
1: I I, <laughs> I do own worldsfastestjew.com, but I haven't done anything with it. Um, so, <laughs> So, um, I don't really have, I don't really have a Jewish identity per se, but it's such a good thing. Um, so from that barefoot experience, I just wanted to have that natural movement thing all the time, but there's some places that don't like it if you're in bare feet and some surfaces that are not great for bare feet. And so I made some sandals based on a 10,000 year old design idea. Um, I made them for my wife and then a couple of other barefoot runners and they told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on. And then one day a guy says, um, if you had treated this little sandal making hobby like a business and put it in a and had a website, I could put it in a book that we're writing. And so I rush home, I pitch this brilliant idea to my wife, uh, and she assures me that I have my head firmly up my butt and that it's a horrible idea, won't make any money, big distraction, waste of time. And I'm a good husband, so I said, "Yeah, you're probably right." And I'm a typical husband, so after she went to bed, I built a website, and then it just it it just took off, and literally everything since then has just been learning as much as we can as fast as we can and um, doing something super super complicated which is making footwear.
0: Wow that's a great way of how it started. I was curious about like where did the footwear part come in and that makes sense you know because you could actually feel it and it's funny I have a client who is is a runner and and, um, he was running somewhere in California and couldn't keep his traction with the shoes and fell and just completely injured himself and I said I think you should try these shoes. <laughs> I said, the runners use them. I said, I'm not a runner, but I uh, walk a lot and hike a lot and I see it and I'm, I understand the yeah. education, but I understand it. And so I gave him your website because I thought, well, you know, he, he does like running on, on uh, mountains and cliffs and trails and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And he, he apparently slid on something cause he didn't have good footing.
1: Well, the, t- the other thing that happens with traditional footwear where you've got a big elevated sole and typically an elevated heel as well, is um, and usually a flared sole also, is your, if you're, the higher you get, the worse your balance is. The less you can feel, the worse your balance is. The less your foot can bend and flex and move, the worse your balance is. And if you have a big thick shoe with an elevated heel, you tend to land with your foot out in front of your body, in front of your center of mass, which is an unbalanced position as well. And so natural running, if you're running either barefoot or in shoes like ours, you end up putting your feet underneath your body more and using your muscles and ligaments and tendons as the natural springs and shock absorbers they're supposed to be. rather than trying to rely on the padding in your shoes, which by the way, starts to wear out the moment you bring them home. Um, and is usually in not great shape within as little as 150 miles, which for some people is just a couple weeks.
0: Mm, that's very interesting. I noticed, I I'm thinking back to when I started wearing your shoes and I didn't mean for this to be like a commercial, but I noticed that after a couple of weeks, I'm like, I'm, sta- I'm able to stand up straighter and I feel better yep. and I feel more in my body, like rounded mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and you just described
0: absolutely. it. And I'm like, it is the shoes. So now when everybody asks me, you think it's the shoes, I'm gonna say I spoke to the owner of the company and it is the shoes. See
1: Well, you know, I'm gonna take <laughs> listen to the, to the podcast. And I'm totally gonna to take that. And the shoes are really just getting out of the way. I mean, look, footwear, when human beings invented footwear is how do I protect the bottom of my foot and how do I hold that on? And really that's all we're doing with some variations on a theme. We're not we don't you don't need to add magic bullshit technology. I mean, my favorite example, and look, the guys who, who are marketers for these big shoe companies, they're brilliant. They come up with things that look really convincing that make you think, oh, that's good. But again, if you get underneath it, it's not what you see what it seems. So like Adidas came out with a a thing they call boost foam and the way they showed how great the boost foam was, they bounced this two pound steel ball, maybe it was two pounds off the boost foam and they compared it to bouncing it off the other company's foam. Well, no other company used the other company's foam for one, but watching the ball bounce was a very compelling thing, except that you are not a two pound steel ball. And that's the most important piece of the puzzle. It's like, if you understand anything about physics then that thing is, that example is completely nonsense. But if you don't, it's a compelling visual that sticks in people's head, people's heads. And so um, uh, it's all very, all we're doing is letting your body do what bodies are naturally designed to do. And they work really well. And the, and the answer for that, the proof of that is just go find tribal societies where they're wearing shoes that are like the original sandals I made, just a little thing to protect their foot and something to hold that on. That's it. They don't have podiatrists. They don't have foot and ankle problems the way we do here in the West. They're not wearing orthotics. They don't come home at the end of a hundred mile run and need to recover for days. It's, and people say, well, I didn't grow up that way. I go, well, yeah, but you also didn't grow up like the 105 pound Kenyan marathoner who runs a two-hour and two-minute marathon, but you're buying the shoes that he's being paid to wear because you think that those shoes are the diff- are the thing that makes the difference, not the way he grew up. So you have the same situation. You didn't grow up this way or this way, but you're believing this one because shoe companies told you, not believing this one because there's not a whole lot of money telling you to try this one.
0: Right. So people can be easily swayed and believe things that aren't necessarily where they... The- you know, I don't think I don't think a lot of people use the air critical thinking as much not as maybe they could be, you
1: know? We're not we're definitely not built for it. We're built to make very quick decisions and stick to them. We're built to look in the in the distance and if the grass is doing this, we have to quickly decide, is that something I'm gonna eat or something that wants to eat me? And then we lock onto that idea that when we see the grass do this and not this, that means something, even though we can be wrong about what we Deduced, but if you had to try to figure this out every time, you'd be dead. So we're wired to get create beliefs as quickly as we can, and then lock onto them because it's not energy efficient to try to rethink it through every time. Every time. Um, I, there are people; I'm one of them, and there are many, many others who, for whatever reason, when we kind of feel that urge to lock onto a new belief, we can all. I mean, the way I explain it is, it almost like I can almost feel the energy that it takes to do it. And it's like, oh, that's, that's unpleasant. Let's take a look and see what else is going on.
0: Yes. I like the, the second question, you know, looking at what un- is underneath everything. Because I always say it's the second question that's the most important question. You know, what, what's going on underneath the radar? Like that program that's running in the computer that you don't know it's there until it shows up.
1: Yeah, now, yeah. Can, you know? can I tell you a fun story about that? Yes, yes. So um, I have a thing that I came up with that I call the one question and where this came from was one day I'm visiting my parents Lena's here at home we'd been having uh, some you know fight about something or some some problem it was very early in our relationship something we hadn't resolved I can't remember even what it was and I was indulging in my favorite hobby which is the righteously indignant fantasy um, so um, I do this when I'm driving. I imagine I'm going to get pulled over by a cop and I'll talk my way out of the ticket with you know, some humiliating logic. In this case, I was imagining that we were seeing a therapist and Lena said something and I asked a question to her in my mind that was so profound that it not only stopped her in her tracks, but in my mind, the therapist, this imaginary therapist was thinking, wow, I'm going to do nothing other than ask that one question to people from now on. And the question was, How long, like literally give me a date and time, how long do you want to keep using this problem as an excuse to be unhappy? Mm -hmm. So that's the first question. But to your point, the more important second question is, and the answer is whatever you want. Could be this moment, could be an hour from now, could be the end of my life, could be never, I don't care. Um, For me, it was, I, I want to stop. And then I had to answer my own question. Of course. So I said, oh, I want to stop using this as an excuse to be unhappy now. And then the second question occurred to me, which is, what am I going to do to prove that I'm no longer using this problem as an excuse to be unhappy? Mm -hmm. And I immediately came up with an answer. And when I got home, a day or two later, I presented this answer. And within like no time, we had resolved the whole issue. So I love the one question just sort of takes it out of context. And the second question, which puts it into practice. So I love your idea of the second question is the important one.
0: yes. It is. And I love that, that example of it, because it's very powerful when you start thinking that way, you know, because once you had that that action, and you were willing to take it and follow it, you know,
1: something's going to change, something's going to change, it might not fix, fix the thing immediately, but it's going to shift something in a way that's going to create a new situation with a different, you know, more openness and possibilities.
0: Right. And once that openness is there and you have those possibilities, now there's more choice and more freedom. Exactly. And then however we want to go from there works better. Yeah. 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 It's really cool. That's fun. I love it. So what do you do to take care of yourself? You run this big business. You're a creative visionary. What do you, uh, do, to, what do, you do for you?
1: Um, well, f- the most important thing is watch television. And and I say that because at the end of a long day, and almost all of them are, uh, Lane and I, I'll come home, we'll make some dinner. Uh, Thanks to COVID, I've become a, I was always a good cook, but I've become really good. I make like our top 10 favorite things now, which is really splendid. And a few things that I like that Lane doesn't. So uh, make some food and then curl up on the couch and watch TV and just chill out. Uh, so that's part one. Mm-hmm. And part two is, of course, food. That's another thing that's helpful. Right. And then I'm, I'm a competitive sprinter still, so I'm on the track on the weekends. And then during the week, I'm doing some other kinds of workouts to basically help what I'm doing as a sprinter. So that's, and what's been challenging for me is mm-hmm. finding things that fit in there that don't add more stress. So lately I've been doing these workouts during the week that only take like 15 to 25 minutes tops. And I can do two or three, I can do three or four of those in a week without having to worry. I'll get home. I've got 20 minutes before Lena's done doing whatever she's doing. And before whatever I'm cooking is ready to come out of the oven. So it's perfect timing. If I had to make time to work out, I just don't have it right now. Uh, So finding the thing that fit in our busy entrepreneurial schedule was, has taken quite a bit of time. Um, and, but I, but it just feels important. I mean, we've got a bunch of cool workout gear in the back of the office too. And every time I walk by that, I do something. Um, so that's most of it, but, but a big part of it, frankly, is that I don't have to do a whole lot because I'm really, really lucky that I'm married to this amazing, wonderful woman. And we're a really good team as a couple and as a business couple. Mm -hmm. And so if it weren't for that, the difficulty and stress would be really, really challenging. But um, this has been super, super satisfying for both. I'll speak for myself. It's been the most satisfying thing I've ever done is working with Lena. And um, that's, that's taken care of me a lot.
0: Yeah, that's great. And and like you mentioned earlier, that you balance off each other with your skill set and the way you think Mm -hmm. and see things. And so you not only have the support personal relationship wise, but business wise, a complementary skill set yeah. pays off huge because it does Very decrease big. the stress when somebody gets you and then they can, you know, follow you and they know how to communicate totally. with you in the way that you can hear and you can communicate with them. And that really decreases the the stress, I believe.
1: It's true. Oh, and two other yeah. things. We have a. I, I got a, thanks to the magic of Craigslist. I got an infrared sauna that we're in a few times a week, mm-hmm. and during the summer, I jump in Boulder Creek. And jumping in freezing cold water, freezing cold rushing water, is the best. Um, I, I had a good friend called me one day in in some sort of emotional upheaval, and I said, Yeah, I don't want to hear it right now. Just bring a bathing suit and get over here. And so he brings his bathing suit over and he starts to tell me, he said, I don't hear it yet. Let's just go jump in the creek. So we jump in the creek and he gets out and he starts to say whatever's going on. He said, well, not yet. Just jump in one more time. And he jumps in one more time. I said, okay, now what was the problem? He goes, I don't remember.
0: <laughs> the cold water got rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> the rushing cold water, water swept it away. It <laughs> It does. It totally does. It totally does. I, I love doing... I, lo- I used to have an infrared sauna and, um, and I love it. I love them. And they're very nourishing to the, to the body and soul. So what do you see for the future?
1: Mine, yours, the world, do the you world,
0: the world first and then your world second.
1: No <laughs> idea for the first and no idea for the second. Um, right, well, that's I, good. you know, it's a funny thing. I have, ideas about what's possible with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I don't, um, I'm not married to any of them. Mm. So if I were 35, that question would be very different because I'd have a lot of years ahead of me. And I believe very strongly in what we're doing because it's true. And, okay. uh, and I would really want to, I'd be talking about, you know, the next 20 years, but at 58, um, and after almost 11 years in business, I'm thinking about what I want to do that's not working because I like not working and I uh, missed having time with my wife where we take long vacations and things like that. So I really don't know. There's a lot of opportunities that are showing up and we're, as always, just trying to identify what the best one is and go with that and see where that takes us. But we do have a – so the vision for the company – I say that we're trying to make natural movement the obvious, better, healthy choice. Well, actually, I'll say it differently. We're helping people remember that natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food is. And of course, we'd like to be the preeminent brand that's providing products that, that support that. Um, so that's the big picture on the business side. And on the personal side, um, you know, I, we're simple people. Just you know, It would be nice to have some time off. So I have no idea how those are going to work together. My friends have a bet that if we sold this company, uh, there's a bet on how long it would be until I started another company. And right now there's even money on eight months. And uh, what I'm really expecting is that even if some big company came and bought us out, that I'd still have some role that would be useful for them and fun for me that wouldn't interfere with that, taking some time off and enjoying life with my wife part.
0: Right. I don't, I don't think that you could stop being the visionary that you are. I don't, I don't know that. I think it's just in your Ooh. DNA and it's just how you are. Even if you're laying on the couch or you're on vacation with your wife or doing whatever, I don't know that the visions and the ideas and the creativity no, and, you're right. will stop. But, I don't think it'll ever stop.
1: No, that's true. But the bar will be raised. The bar for, you know, do I want to do something about this will be raised.
0: Yeah, a whole different yeah, conversation concerned. on action.
1: Yeah, Lane Lane and I were, we were retired from 2000 to 2009. We'd done some clever investing that was throwing off enough money, not a lot, but just enough that we realized if we lived comfortably and frugally, we were done working. And uh, that's a pretty impressive kind of place to be. Um, Not impressive. It was wonderful opportunities, what it was. And it took a couple of years to kind of get over the idea of needing to do anything. And uh, I have a friend actually who I met during that time who he had a lot of money from businesses he started and sold. And I said, what was the most interesting thing once you realized you were off the financial grid? And he said, "Um, I spent two years where I wouldn't get out of bed until it was 100% crystal clear to me that I never needed to do anything ever again. And he said, at first, it would take me a couple hours till I got out of bed. But at the two-year mark, I could just get out of bed and it was very clear that I was done. And the only, and it took years till anything motivated him to do anything other than like renovate his house and make it a beautiful place to hang out. And then he decided to write a book and, you know, self-publish that and had some fun with that. But the idea of, of if you don't need to work for a living, what really gets you out of bed, what really makes you want to do something, um, especially when you know that some of the things that you're going to think of are going to add more stress and difficulty to your life. Right, right. You really want to do You know, and and that's a question that most people don't get to answer. Or the other question is, what does enough mean? And that's another one that most people don't ask or answer because you can, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I first moved to New York City, when I was 21, I guess, everything I owned fit in the back of a Mustang and most of what I owned was books. So I didn't even need those really. So everything I owned could fit in, that I cared about, could fit in a decent sized suitcase. That's enough. Right. Anything after that, you know, I mean, if you, if you really get clear about the, and enough could right. be that you don't need anything. And it could be that you need a million dollars. I don't know. But if you don't know what it is, you're going to keep staying on that loop, on that treadmill, mm-hmm. trying to get to somewhere that you haven't even figured out yet because you just don't know the answer to enough. And sometimes it takes some practice of living differently than you think to discover whether what you thought enough is is enough, or if you need more, or if you need less. I mean, when we were in retired mode, we were giving away 20% of the money we were earning because we just didn't need it. And it was really fun to every month find someone new who needed a couple of thousand bucks and giving it to them and, you know, surprising that crap out of them was a blast.
0: Right. Oh, that's so fun. It's, it's
1: my My favorite was um, leaving one of those um, um, humane society things where they have puppies and kitties to pet and adopt. Uh we weren't in adoption mode, but we were always in petting puppies and kitties mode. And on the way out, I said, can I give you a donation here? Can I write you a check? They said, sure. And so I wrote a check for $500 and folded it up and handed it to the guy. And we walked out of the little RV and uh, get about three steps outside the door. And then we hear, oh my God, you know, no one had ever handed him a $500 check before. It was, it's a blast.
0: Oh, that's that brings such joy to your heart, you know that.
1: Oh, it's wonderful.
0: It's like there's. Oh, I have goosebumps with that story. That's really. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, so I have another couple questions, if you don't mind. Okay. One is, what is the most memorable food you've ever eaten?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you, you could have qualified that. The most memorable food I've ever eaten is, and I, actually, I'll do. I'll do positive and negative because they okay. both came from the same place. Okay. So it was my, it was when I was in Thailand 30 something years ago. And the best thing was mango steam, fresh mango steam. It's, it looks like a little purple grenade. The fruit inside is white and it's kind of like peachy. And, uh, it, I, I, it's indescribable. It's phenomenal. And in that same trip, I also had durian, which is e- if evil could be reincarnated as a fruit, that's what durian is. And, um, <laughs> it it smells like gasoline. The texture is incredibly delightful, but uh, the taste, let's just say it's an acquired taste. And if you like the taste of that, you probably like poking needles in your eyeballs because holy smokes. Um, I, we, I bought some durian when I was back in the States and to try it again, like, you know, maybe 10 years ago. And we cut off a little piece. We tried it. It was couldn't handle it. I threw it in the garbage can in the garage and an hour later we walk into the garage and it was just this, this overwhelming smell that singed your eyebrows. So those are my, my two most memorable are two fruits from the same place from Thailand, mangosteen, awesome, uh, durian, the opposite.
0: Wow. I could smell that just hearing it. Ugh. Nasty. <laughs> Oh God, this is crazy. So I know that there's probably things you wanted to share or maybe not on the show. Is there anything that came to mind that you wanted to share that I didn't ask you about?
1: Um, yeah. And this is just from our talk before we started doing this. Um, and I don't remember what the, what made me think of it, but I'll, I'll toss this out there. Um, a lot of people who, when they're trying to create something or run a business or start a business or, follow some idea that they have think that there's some magic set of beliefs you need to have, or, um, you need to know things in advance. None of which could be further from the truth. Lena at one point was kind of upset. She said, you know, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I said, none of us know what we're doing. We're making it up every day because no one has ever done what we're doing. And she goes, Oh, well I can, I can do that. It's like, yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. So the, the, there's one little weird technique that I play with where, um, I'll say, if, I, if it feels like I have a problem, I try to describe the problem really, if I'm trying to get unstuck. If I try to, de- that's where it came from. If I try to describe the problem as simply as I can, um, an example, uh, I'm just trying to think of one off the top of my brain. Um, I can't even think of one. Um, the website isn't doing what I want. As okay. an e-commerce company, that's a pretty common complaint. In fact, my fantasy is that one day, everything on the website will still be working today as well as it was working yesterday, despite the fact that nothing changed overnight and now it's on fire (laughs) um, happens. But so the website isn't working the way it should. So the next step is to take the problem and literally just do an opposite of that. And there's a lot of them. So one could be the website is working the way it should. Okay. I mean, the code is the code. So if it's doing something weird, it's because the code is weird and we just got to solve that. Or, I'm, wait, the website isn't doing what it should. Another weird way to do an opposite is I'm not doing what I should. It's like, oh, I can find the truth of that too. And then um, the website is doing, I mean, you can find a whole bunch of opposites. And one of those opposites is going to just kind of resonate in such a way that you can tell if you looked for a way to prove it, it would be an action, a next step, a single little step that could change everything. So if I do the website isn't doing what it should and do the opposite of I'm not doing what I should, it's immediately obvious to me like five things that I know I should have been doing that I've been procrastinating about. And then I just need to pick one, the simplest one to just do that. And that'll be the next step that then changes the landscape after that. So that's my turning problems into solutions thing that I use on a regular basis.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's a great way to get unstuck, those little steps. But I like the opposite part. That's what well,
1: I like. And that. It's what we were talking about before is we get these beliefs right. and we lock onto them. But it's funny that if we look for the opposite of these beliefs, we often find they're at least as true as what we originally started with. And 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 rarely, the opposites are almost always more spacious, not always, but often more spacious and actionable. Some of them you'll find some that are more spacious, more actionable that will right. change what's going on.
0: Right. And I and so many people operate off a perception of a belief, like I think I should believe that, or beliefs right. that are or beliefs that are passed down that may or may not even Over. have any any truth in them at all, like that study. And mm-hmm. so it takes discernment and being willing to say, okay, I'm gonna build this as I go. And somehow I'll know what to do next. And we do if we're paying attention, I think.
1: You know, we figured it out. I mean, people ask me um, how we got to where we are. And I say, well, uh, um, I-, I got a master's degree in film way back when. And one of my teachers was a very well-known director. And someone asked him, how do you make a good movie? And he said, well, you know, 90% of making movie, is check. I'm not just saying this, doing this for no reason. Um, you know, 90% of making movie is casting. And the other 10% is um, casting. And so I joke that with business, 90% of whatever happens is luck. And the other 10% is also luck. Luck. And there's a whole separate 100% where 90% of that is working your butt off. And the other 10% is hopefully being smart enough. Don't know how to put out those fires that started overnight, even though nothing changed since yesterday. And, you know, I can think of innumerable things that could be make this all fall apart tomorrow i don't have any belief that it's going to work i don't have any beliefs that i hold on to i just know there's an infinite number of possibilities and all we're doing at every moment is trying to figure out based on everything that's part of how we're made um, what the appropriate next step is and then you know do a lot of this and just a lot of being on the lookout Mm
0: -hmm. paying attention paying attention. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I love it. I could like talk to you forever about all this stuff because I, 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 well, I love the way you think. And I also really appreciate your visionary talent and your ability to just stay in that flow with it. Na- so, natu- oh, oh, so naturally, yeah. which makes well, let's, total let's, sense let's, why you're in the movement business to me. It's like, it all well, makes sense. But,
1: but, but let's, let's not mythologize this uh, or me at all. I mean, when something goes wrong, my, my natural, um, pattern is to um, uh, yell a number of expletives as loud and as fast as I can. And then when I calm down, depending on what it is anywhere from a minute to a day later, find a bunch <laughs> of solutions. But I have to go through that Grr! phase um, just the way it is. So, um, you know, let's not harbor any illusions that I am just smooth sailing. I'm hitting choppy water that I have made choppy until I can, you know, get the sails right and the boat righted and get things working again.
0: <laughs> well, um, I only I work with gifted people and we always you know all of us are very highly emotional so we can flow and we can we can have a temper tantrum with the best of them and all <laughs> all of it right and you just reminded me now you're reminding me of stories because I race sailboats and oh I, cool I, and I um and I've raced since I was a child and I was on this one race um on our boat and the guy who owned it and was steering it was a local attorney. In fact, mostly attorneys were on the boat and, and they're hilarious. You know, It's one joke after the other all day long. But then when something's not going right, he would sit back there steering and he would just scream and yell and act goofy. And we would all just look at him funny. And then one time he was having a fit and then there was about five seconds of quiet. Then he'd go, okay, everybody be calm, just like me. <laughs> and, and he was totally not calm and we were the calm ones. And it's like, you have to find humor in your own, like losing it. So that then everything oh, can yeah. come back, you know, and and that. But yeah. see, that's part of being the visionary is the intensity that runs through our veins. It's like you can't expect everything to be flat. We're not flat. That's what makes it work, though. If you didn't have all that intensity, you wouldn't. It's, it wouldn't work. It's the fuel, and if you don't let it, it, it out, it would give you ulcers or a heart attack.
1: <laughs> It it often does seem to be part of the package. I mean, one of my jokes is there's basically two roads between my office and my home. One is about a four-mile stretch with about six traffic lights on it, and the speed limit is 55, uh, and invariably there's someone in front of me doing 40. And I have a fantasy that one day that won't make me want to kill those people but it's been every day for five years. So it seems unlikely that that's just the way this, you know, I I don't like when things physically or in any way get in my way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always trying to find, you know, just a way around. And um, I will (laughs) confess that I do occasionally use a merging lane illegally to pass those people um, and happily have a car fast enough to do it safely. (laughs) But um, there's certain things, you get to a certain point where you realize, you know, I'm just not gonna go to another workshop to try to get rid of this. That's just the way this one's built. Yes.
0: Very good. That's so true. It's like, you know, people try to hide those characteristics. I'm like, no, no, no. It's the passion that makes it all happen. Where, where where, else do you have the fuel? I call it like our rock, you know, our booster rockets. Like we need that energy, you know, and I don't like when people drive 40 and 55 either. I totally get it. <laughs> totally. I'm like, yep. Mm-hmm. Sign me up too.
1: <laughs> makes me crazy. And I do. And you know what? Actually, my fantasy is to make it either from or to the office. Um, without having to slow down and making it through every light and it's been again five years and it's never happened and the other day one of my best friends called me we hadn't talked in a while and by the time we were off the phone I realized that I had actually made it through every light without having to slow down and I didn't get to appreciate it because I was on the phone and didn't notice it
0: (laughs) (laughs) you missed it the golden (laughs) time I did
1: I missed my own my own fantasy
0: well, now you just have to recreate it again, which will probably take another five years.
1: <laughs> probably. Statistically, that's likely.
0: Oh, my word. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. So our final, my final question for you today, which I cannot wait to hear your answer for, Uh-oh. is if we were going to have a billboard that the entire world could see that had your name on it, what would you put on that billboard?
1: Holy smokes. That's a tough one. Um. Um, the only thing that popped in my mind that it was the the line from the x-files which is the truth is out there but i would um yeah i'm going to stick with that i'm going to go for the x-files the truth is out there
0: the truth is out there beautiful i love that one and nobody has said that one yet so there you go i don't ask it to everybody but i ask it to the visionaries so everybody You've been listening to Steven from Zero Shoes. He's also an amazing, talented visionary. And I know that you found great, great information and inspiration. So let him know that you heard him on the show and reach out to him and try his shoes because I have five pairs of them already. And I can tell you that my life is better because of it. And that was way before I met him and asked him on the show. So remember everybody, you're a rock star. You're here on purpose with a purpose, so go out there and make a difference in the world. And until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.